Hello, friends of the Nawada Methodist community. This is Pastor Jeffrey Rickman leading this podcast intro as I do every week. And I, uh, I'm glad to present today's message to you. I'm sounding like a commercial. Uh, we finished our series in the Peter letters. We did 1 Peter in four weeks and then 2 Peter in three weeks. And now I'm recording this on Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, which means that uh, in worship we will be returning to the King James Version of the Bible and the Revised Common Lectionary in a different order of worship and purple pyramids as we prepare for Easter or as uh, I don't really like calling it Easter. I call it the Christian Passover whenever I'm thinking straightly. Um, so the third chapter of Second Peter deals with the day of the Lord, the return of Christ, the end of history, and the mechanics of fire being an end to all things um, before the, the new creation, the new heaven and earth, which of course is described most beautifully in Revelation chapters 20 through 22. So I had the joy of hosting our district superintendent and uh, district assistant with us in worship. We had a great turnout because after worship, we uh, hosted a disaffiliation vote for the Delaware and Nowata churches. And um, to my surprise, there was only one person out of the uh, almost 80 people who voted who said that they did not want to disaffiliate. Um, it, it seemed like a pretty clear um, group consensus. So uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly the next steps. Uh, my wife is. She's the one who, who has that checklist. But um, provided that uh, the will of, of this congregation is matched by the work that we, cooperative work that we do with our annual conference, uh, we'll be looking at uh, being disaffiliated by the end of April. So I'd appreciate your prayers for this community of faith. Um, yeah, I, I, I do a weekly mailing on Fridays to those who sign up for my mailing list. It's only like 70 people right now, but I I write my uh, thoughts and reflections at the end of each week. And last week I just said, um, you know, I sure hope this is not us projecting our own problems onto the United Methodist Church denomination um, because we humans have a propensity for projections. So, um, yeah, the prayer would be that, that um, as we achieve covenant relationship freedom, that we choose faithful covenant relationship with another body, because uh, churches aren't meant to be lone wolves, but also that we uh, maintain our integrity and um, that we assume responsibility for those things that are um, our responsibility. So anyway, I, I've talked more in this intro than I meant to. I appreciate you uh, listening to and supporting our podcast and our church with your prayers. And uh, as always, I just urge you to, to keep moving closer towards Jesus. And if this is a good church for you to do it, then come closer to this church as well. The Lord bless and keep you. Enjoy the message. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world.
we've been going through Second Peter. We went through First Peter first, now it's Second Peter, and we're concluding today. The third chapter begins on page 1896 of your pew Bibles. Chapter 1, uh, there were several messages, but the primary one that we really focused on was the reliability of the scriptures, and we're going to tap back into that a bit today. But Peter, this is written by Peter, the, the first among the 12 apostles, he made very clear these are not cleverly devised myths that we've handed to you. These are historical events that literally happened. We were on that mountain with him during the transfiguration. We saw him transformed. We heard the word of God. Today's Transfiguration Sunday, he alluded to it in chapter 1. Chapter 2, he talked about the false leaders that come into the church who tell you not to take the scripture seriously and tell you that it's okay to give in to the desires of the flesh. They're licentious, they're hedonistic, they're libertine. There are lots of different words. The long and short of it is they do not acknowledge that we are born slaves to the flesh and in need of rebirth. Rather, they say whatever the desires of flesh are that you have they are good they're given by god and you should give in to them you should live into them and he says these are false teachers get away from them do not listen to them so we're in chapter three today and he's picking up with those themes and he's coming to the day of the lord now the day of the lord we talk about frequently because the bible talks about it frequently the notion is that there are consequences to how we live there's a final day at the end of history where each of us has to answer for how we've lived everything we've said done and even thought and so that's why we are seeking christ jesus now is to purify us and we're going to talk about purity to purify us so that when we appear before god's judgment seat that is not a day of terror for us it's a day of rejoicing so um, that's, that's some of the hymns that we're going to sing, Battle Hymn of the Republic, at the end of worship, which is about that final day. We sung some hymns about it at the beginning of worship. This is something that informs the Christian walk. We believe that all of us are going to have to answer for our lives to God at his judgment seat. We believe that there's no way that's going to go well for us unless we die to self and live in Christ. We, we allow his atoning blood shed on the cross to be applied to our hearts. So what, does, what, what do we believe about that last day? How does that translate to how we live today? That's what this chapter is about. So, let's dive in. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be good and pleasing to you, our Father, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as a reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So he's tapping into this notion of scripture, right? It's the, whole, the ancient prophets who wrote down the Old Testament. It's the, the apostles during Peter's day who are writing down the New Testament. He's saying, attend upon those words. And I, I read through John Wesley's commentary on this section. It, I'm going to read some explicit parts, the explanatory notes of the New Testament. I have my big ruler in here. He says, uh, whenever Peter is directing us to uh, have these wholesome thoughts, I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate to, you to wholesome thinking. He says, what you think about informs who you are, right? So if you're spending your days watching trash TV, guess what? There's a lot of trash bouncing around in here. If you're spending your days... Y'all quit poking each other in the pews, all right? You tattle on each other somewhere else. 
You're spending your day playing video games. You got, you got that stuff bouncing around. What you spend your time with, what you introduce into your head, is what informs who you are, and it's all connected. There is no way to let something into who you are and it not impact your soul. There are people who like to believe that they can. They are lying to themselves. So he says, let's have some wholesome thinking. And while we're doing that, let's welcome the scriptures in. You know, if you want your soul to be right with God, how about, here's a novel thought, read your Bible. Verse 3, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it did since the beginning of the creation. So let's take a, a time out there. What is a scoffer? What do scoffers do? They make fun of people? Does that sound about right? Scoffers take something that is serious and meaningful to people and they go, that's stupid. I've, I, I'm on the, the Methodist clergy page on Facebook and there's one guy who's so bitter, he just goes and he, he puts the laughing emoji at people he thinks are stupid. It's just derisive and bitter. He just goes through, he does it on hundreds of comments a month. I can't imagine having the energy for scoffing at people that much. You know? And I can't, I'm, not gonna, I'm not pure here. There are some things that I, I think it's... I, I scoff at the notion that life has any purpose with, without God, you know. I scoff at the notion that there will be no comeuppance for evildoers, you know. There are things that I scoff at, you know. But it's what you scoff at that matters. And here he's saying there are people that are scoffing at Christians for believing that there is a day of judgment. They're going, look, this, this world has only ever been the way it is. It's only ever going to be the way it's going to be. The sun's going to continue going through the galaxy. We're going to continue rotating around the sun, you know. Whether or not, I mean, there are some people that say, you know, the weather's changing, the climate's changing. But even so, you know, there's not going to be an end of history. We're not going to be called before God's judgment seat. And they'll say, you Christians have been talking about this for 2,000 years, man. People in Jesus' day thought he was going to return within their lifetimes. We're here 2,000 years later. You mean to tell me you believe in a little return, literal return of Jesus? He's going to come in the clouds, and you're going to float up in the air and meet him, and we're, the books are going to be open, and he's going to judge us, and he's going to send the bad people to hell and the good people to heaven, and, oh, of course, you're one of the good people. When we all get to heaven, what a, you see how people do this? Have you ever heard anybody like this? They think we're so silly. And it's so hard for us to look him in the face and say, yes, I believe that. And you're laughing, and you really shouldn't be. When that day comes, you're not going to be laughing. They might say, is that a threat? <laughs> to which I would say, read your Bible. <laughs> it's a warning. I'm warning you. You know, Christ has given us this short time on earth to warn one another. There is a day coming in which there is going to be nothing between you and God. In Revelation, it describes the sky is going to be rolled back like a scroll and everybody's going to look up and see God right there and people are going to run into caves and into mountains and say, fall on us because they're so terrified of this God that they have scoffed at all their life. Here he says, in the last days there will be scoffers. Do we have scoffers in our world nowadays? So am I a conspiracy theorist? Am I one of these crazy apocalyptic people whenever I tell you brothers and sisters are living in the last days? By scriptural definition, I would say we are living in the last days. The last days have just been going on a while. 
We're living in the last days. There's been scoffers for a long time. The scoffers, to my mind, are gaining in power and influence. There are certain projections showing that uh, Christianity is going to be a, a small minority of American religion here in 2070. I don't know if we're going to make it that long, to be honest with you. But the tides have definitely turned against the church in America. And now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying we're persecuted like believers in India or North Korea. Oh, we're, we're very free and blessed to live here. But even so, there are a lot of scoffers right now. And the temptation we have is to be nice. Was anyone here raised to be nice? I was raised to be nice. And when someone scoffs at you, you really only have two options. And the options are either to say, you're wrong and you're a fool and I don't, uh, I don't have anything good to say to you or to say, well, you might be right. And we are several generations in in this country to Christians saying, well, you might be right. Let's, you know, in fact, we, we have a, a, a stereotype in our heads of someone worthy of mockery. Uh, you know, even Christians, they'll mock that, that preacher on the street corner, right? That has the signs out saying the end is nigh. Here he is, or she, trying to warn people about the coming judgment. Now, oh, that, he's a different kind of Christian than us. We're much more loving than him. He's making people feel judgment. He's getting them scared about hellfire. We just want to talk to you about love. Well, the thing is, the Bible talks about both. And you can't have one without the other. Mercy without judgment spoils people. Judgment without mercy terrifies them. We have both to offer. And there is a time for warning. People need to know what's coming. Y'all, I've talked about it before. Y'all know there's a whole uh, community of people called preppers that are preparing for the whole infrastructure of the U.S. to give out. We might have some in here. Um, they, they store up for the, the days coming. They store up food. They store up medicine. They, they make sure they know how to raise their own food, process their own meat. What Christians are is spiritual preppers. We've been warned that there's days of tribulation ahead. And rather than it coming and us going, oh, I can't believe it actually came. We're the ones going, we were warned. I'm ready. Most of Revelation is that time of tribulation where people's faith is being tried. And you and I are given this time right now to prepare for those days. And that's why we spend our time in the word and fasting and praying and loving as Christ loved and denying ourselves, taking up our cross daily. All these things make us firm and strong for the day of tribulation so that on that day we may withstand and stand firm. But if we're going through our lives going, oh, I think it's just a metaphor. Oh, I don't think it's ever really going to come. It hasn't come for 2,000 years. It's not going to come during my time. You tell me, does that glorify God or Satan more? You know it's Satan. Satan wants a bunch of happy, uh, uh, relaxed, not at all concerned about judgment people. People who confess with their lips that Christ is Lord, but they don't believe that any judgment is coming. That's who Satan wants. People who think they're right with God, but are not preparing for the last day. That's why the scriptures were written. That's why Peter wrote this letter. He's saying, I'm writing this to remind you of the most important things, to get your mind on the wholesome stuff that prepare you for the days ahead. That's why this letter was written. This is his last will and testament, by the way. 
This is the stuff he thinks is most important to write about. The day of the Lord is not some decorative thing off to the side. You can be a Christian without this, this apocalyptic stuff. No, this is at the heart of true religion about Christ Jesus. He, Peter's not the only one who talks about it. Jesus talks about it. The Old Testament prophets talk about it. Paul talks about it. It's all over the place. You can't avoid it if you want to then that means you need to lean into it more because there's something God is wanting you to address that you're reluctant to. Let's go on. They say, ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since, since the beginning of creation. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget. You know anybody who deliberately forgets things? It's a thing that we almost all do. It's a form of denial. We make ourselves forget things that are inconvenient. Watch your brain. They deliberately forget that long ago, God's word, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. It's talking about the creation account. Once upon a time, there was no earth, there was no sun, there was no universe. God created it all. So if it could not exist at one point before, why do we think it couldn't exist at another time in the future? Verse 6, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed talking about the the flood right with noah god was so fed up he decided he's just got to kill us all by water now that ended with a promise right that rainbow in the sky god said i'm never going to do it again so does that mean that the world is never that's the only means god has for destroying the world no by verse seven by the same word that's the word god spoke for creation the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire not water fire Fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction on the ungodly. So John Wesley's kind of a nerd, if you didn't know this. And uh, he's talking about the kind of fire that's being stored up. There's three kinds. By the stores of subterranean fire. Subterranean means under the earth. Which so frequently burst out of Etna and Vesuvius and Hecla and many other burning mountains. He's talking about lava. Two, by the ethereal vulgarly called electrical fire diffused through the whole globe which if the secret chain that now binds it up were loosed would immediately dissolve the whole frame of nature i love his english (laughs) and we'll come back to that one three by comets one of which if it touched the earth in its course toward the sun must needs strike it into the abyss of fire if in its return from the sun when it is heated as a great man computes 2,000 times hotter than a red-hot cannonball. It must destroy all vegetables and animals long before their contact as soon as it burn up. I just, I I read that and go, what a weird guy. (laughs) But the thing is, we're learning a lot of really interesting stuff right now about um, ancient history before recorded history. And there was supposedly an event called the Younger Dryas event, where all of a sudden a huge ice sheet that was over Canada all melted at once somehow. And it made Earth's sea levels rise like 150, 200 feet. So all of a sudden, the, the, the myth of Atlantis sounds like it could be real. There are a lot of other implications, but there, there are cultures around the world have flood stories. Dramatic things have happened in the world before, and whether it be by comet, by uh, volcano, or some other event, big bad things have happened before, and we're told that something even bigger and badder is going to come that wipes out everything and so it's that second one that I I think John Wesley had some kind of intuit knowledge of nuclear energy 
where he understood that the energy for the destruction of the universe was contained everywhere. And as, as physicists study the nature of our universe, forgive me for I've already been kind of nerdy and I'm going to continue to be, um, they are finding that the universe is fine-tuned. That in order for things to cohere and hold together, in order for life to emerge, in order for us to continue living, a million different things all have to be in place. Maybe it's not a million, maybe it's 100,000. But even so, all of those things maintain from moment to moment, not because we have some watchmaker God sitting afar off who's indifferent, but an active God who actively, intentionally sustains and maintains everything, and without his direct will at any given moment, everything would already fall apart, burn down, be destroyed. The only reason that sinners are able to keep on sinning every day is because the Lord holds their bodies together. The Lord gives them air to breathe. The Lord intentionally, these are not dispassionate forces, the Lord very personally keeps each and every one of us alive day by day. And one day at the end of history, he will very intentionally end everything. And all that will be left is that which he maintains. So let's hear more about that. Verse 8, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. That is where we are, right? Verse 8, yeah, okay. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So you, in the prayer, I was talking, God doesn't experience time the same way we do. I don't know how else to interpret this verse. There are things that seem very long for us. They are not long for God. There are things that are very short for us. They extend an eternity with God. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, Jesus got frustrated once. And I think, I think this is part of the mind of God. He said, oh, I came to bring fire, and how I wish it was already kindled. And I believe he was talking about the final judgment. I think he's just saying, let's just be done with this. But the reality is that Christ came to open the kingdom to the Gentiles, and that's, that's us. Thanks be to God. But for 2,000 years, God has been patient. He doesn't want to condemn people. Christ did not come into the world to condemn. He came into the world to save. But those who are not in Christ are already condemned, for they have not believed in the only begotten Son of God, right? So we have been given this time, more time than anyone ever thought we were going to have, to bring everybody into the fold of God. And we haven't used it well. We've had two, don't you think 2,000 years is enough time to save the world? I do. I think it's the willful laziness of Christians who have continually challenged God's Holy Spirit, just saying, ah, we have more time. One day it's going to be too late. God is patient with us. God is not up there going, oh, I'm going to get them. He's up there going, would they get moving, please? I could not have been any more clear with them. I told them everything. They know that time is ticking. They know it's long overdue. Why are they wasting this time I've given them? That's a good question worth asking. Why, why aren't we using our time well? I think the only answer can be because deep down we don't believe in a judgment. If we know that there's a judgment coming, and it could be any minute, we'd be working our tails off, wouldn't we? We'd be moving, we'd be making sure everybody knew. 
We'd be making sure that anyone who came before Jesus' judgment seat, when they say why it is they didn't follow, it is not because, hey, my neighbor Jeffrey, he never told me. I live down the street from this guy. He never told me. Can you imagine how ashamed we're going to be when there are people who are excluded from the kingdom because we just didn't think it was our job to tell them? That, that thought bothers me. I am very anxious about the people who knew me, who Judgment Day is not going to go well for, and they had no idea because I never warned them. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Does a thief come when you're expecting? That's the whole point. It's saying you're not going to expect when it comes. You're not going to see it coming. It's going to come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Can you imagine such a thing? The elements will be destroyed by fire. I read that in a modern sense. Maybe it wasn't meant in that way. But every single element is just going to explode. There's going to be a nuclear event. Everything is going to be destroyed. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. I can't imagine such a thing. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now, this can easily go in a bad direction because a lot of people can read this and not know what's on the other side of that and go, well, if this is how it ends, I'm just going to do whatever I want. But is there anything that goes on after this event? Well, yeah. Eternal life. Read Revelation chapters 20 through 22. God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And those who have lived and died in Christ Jesus will be welcomed forever in this eternal union of heaven and earth where there is no need of sun or moon because God and the Lamb, Jesus, will be its eternal light. We will all worship and live forever under God's authority, loving and uh, uh, reigning over creation with God. We will gather around his throne at his heavenly temple where a stream of living waters flows. Yes, we'll gather at the river. That's what we're singing about, right? And on its side have trees with leaves for the healing of the nations. And whatever that life is like, I can't comprehend it, is going to be so much greater and richer than anything I've experienced here on earth that just a glimpse of it will make up for all the suffering of this life, no matter how bad it is. That's the promise that we have through the scriptures. So knowing, Susanna asked to do a children's sermon today, and I completely forgot, and I'm sorry. But what I was going to do, I was going to call the kids up here, and I was going to say, what things do you love? What things in your life do you love? And it, maybe I'm really glad that I forgot, because it might have broken some kids' hearts. But, you know, some kids, they love their favorite dress, or they love uh, their money, or their purse, or they love... Um, their house. You know, my kids have looked at me and said, do we have to move someday? I, I love my house. I don't want to move. And then as you name these things, you know, there's a day coming where all that stuff is going to be burned away and it's not going to be around anymore. So if I take my comfort in those things that do not last, well, then on that last day, it's going to be a very sad day because I'm going to lose the things I love. But if my joy is in my relationship with the Lord and then the people that he's given to me to be in relationship with, well, there is no fire that burns hot enough to burn those things away. 
those things will last for eternity. And on that day where everything meaningless is burned away, I'm going to stand secure because all my love is in things that last forever. In 1 Corinthians, Paul warns that everyone who adds to the body of Christ, adds to the church, we are all building. But some of us build with better materials than, than others. Some people burn, build with, with good materials that last. Others build with just you know sticks and, and rocks. He says everything's going to be tested by fire. See the commonality here? Everything's going to be tested by fire, and the things that burn away aren't going to do well. The time that we've been given is to build with good, solid materials, those things that are going to last through the trial of fire. When through fiery trials I call thee to go. No, that's deep waters. When through fiery trials thy pathways shall lie. That my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. So hopefully, you know, I've talked about Peter talking about fire, 1 Corinthians. It's all over the place. This fire is all over the place. Let's get back into the word. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. So as we're talking about building on that firm foundation, those things that will last for eternity, that of your life that is holy and godly, that's what will withstand the fire. That's what will last through the day of judgment. Verse 12, as you look forward to the day of God and speed, it's coming. The day of God is the day of judgment, the, uh, the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, the day of judgment. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We could preach on that, but let's not. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, and we hope you are, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. So how closely to that do you think the word purity is related? Do you think God cares that we are pure? When we're talking about spotless and blameless, these are words used in the Old Testament for the kind of sacrifices that God desired. You know, you'd be raising up a goat or a, a lamb or a, a calf. If there was any kind of marring, any kind of damage to the animal, then you're giving God your, your sloppy seconds, right? It's saying whatever you offer to God needs to be perfect, pure, blameless, without mark or blemish. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit, can he restore us? He can take away our sin. And so the expectation is that we let him, that we don't continue to harbor sin, which poisons us and mars our spirits, but that we allow God to purify us so that on that last day he comes and he doesn't find a bunch of unrepentant sinners. He comes and he finds saints. That's what we're aiming to be here. We're aiming to be saints. Those, those bells, the bell tree that sits in the back, it represents people that we're aiming to be saints. As we ring their bells on All Saints Day, we're remembering people whose lives were dedicated to this, this holy and good offering, lives that were lived in the event that when Christ returns, whether it be during their lifetimes or ours or our grandkids, that when Christ returns, he finds us pure and blameless and at peace. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. 
What does that mean? Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. That's how we're supposed to be living in the world right now. That's how we pursue holiness. We have all these things in the scriptures that help us. Well, what do I do? How do I grow in holiness? Well, let's talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Anybody know what they are? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the easiest one, right? Self-control. Gee, how do I grow in holiness? Well, attend upon those things. Verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. We were just talking about God's patience, right? That's why he hasn't pulled the trigger on the day of the Lord yet. He's being patient with you. He's giving you a chance to get your act together. Save the other people around you. Our Lord's patience means salvation, just as your dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Anybody heard of Paul? We preached on him a lot more than we have of Peter. He wrote half of the New Testament. He's saying Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them on these matters. So he's saying, you know these things I'm writing to you about? Paul wrote about them too. We fit together. It's the same truth we're doing here. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. We already know this, right? Some parts of the Bible are hard to understand. So that means we get to get rid of them, right? No? That means that we get to read them one way where they cancel out other parts of the Scripture, right? No, that obviously makes no sense. I see some people frowning at me. No, I'm not... I'm lifting this up as a straw man that then we get to demolish. The thing is, he's saying, me, Peter's saying, me and Paul and the Old Testament prophets and the other apostles, we're all writing about the same stuff. And you should put your trust in all these things because they point you to trusting in Christ Jesus. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. So that's the unique point of history that we find ourselves at. We find ourselves in a place in history where there are a lot of voices, not just outside of the church, but within the church, who say, oh, these scriptures over here, we got buckets for these scriptures. These are the scriptures that are, put them in the no good bucket. And these are scriptures that, they, they, they were true once upon a time, but we're better than that now. We don't need these scriptures, and, and these are the scriptures we like, and that goes in the good bucket. There's no buckets. There's just the scriptures. And when we find ourselves contorting the scriptures, like he says here, he, he already, this is such a good, I'm so glad for this. He knew, he had our number, he knew that there would be generations later who turned the Bible against itself and said, well, if God is love, then there can be no judgment. Do we have no discernment? Are we really that simple-minded? We can't let the two things be true at the same time. Are we really so self-centered? We imagine that, well, if I just don't understand it, it can't be true. You know, I, I think a lot of people, they watch too much Looney Tunes growing up. And what I mean by that is, you know, in like the Roadrunner stuff where Coyote would uh, try and out-trick him and Roadrunner would always get the best of him. And sometimes like he would, he would like run off a cliff and he would stay suspended in midair and he wouldn't fall until he realized he was not on ground. We kind of imagine that, like, if I can't imagine my judgment, then it can't happen, right? If I, uh, if I don't think that there's going to be a final judgment, then I won't be exposed to it. And if I go, la, 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 and I intentionally misunderstand or intentionally forget these things, then I won't be held accountable to it. That's how a lot of people think about it, and they're going to be very 
very sorry on that last day. There are ignorant and unstable people who distort the scriptures to their own destruction. He is saying that his writings and Paul's writings are scriptures. He's saying they do this to our scriptures and they do this to other scriptures as though these are the scriptures and there are other scriptures. He's saying these are the standard of faith. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, everybody here, have you been forewarned? If you don't feel like you've been warned, I'm not a good preacher. You have got to find a different preacher. But if you feel like you've been forewarned, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. There are some people who say once you have understood salvation or received salvation, you could never lose it. I don't know how you exp explain this portion, passage, if that's the case. He says, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. If you are secure, then guard yourself. Stay secure. Remain standing. Guard the faith. Be vigilant. If you're not secure, then that's the whole point of this thing here. We're going we're gonna to secure one another. We're going to work together. I'm going to work so God can use me anywhere, Lord, anytime. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. So, Peter had a very serious message. If this isn't serious, I don't know what is. Are we going to be scoffers? Or are we going to scoff at this message? No. We're going to be sober. We're going to be faithful, and we're going to trust that as we build on the foundation of Christ Jesus, that on that last day we will be found faithful. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that'll be. When we all sing, Jesus will sing and shout the victory. All right, one more victorious hymn, and then we'll conclude worship. Battle Hymn of the Republic. Number 717, let's stand and sing.